Welcome to the Jesus Movement Podcast, presented by Awaken the Dawn. We host conversations so you can hear stories from across the movement, receive fresh biblical insights, and gain practical tools to experience more of Jesus's presence in your life, ministry, and city, because we believe Jesus changes everything. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm your host, Matthew Lilly. Today, we have a very special episode with a teaching from Mike Bickle. He is the director and the founder of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, which has been hosting 24-hour nonstop prayer with live worship for over 23 years. It's incredible. And on this teaching from an Awaken the Dawn event last year, Mike shares five reasons why it's important for us to have a biblical understanding of the end times. You know, a lot of people, when they hear about the return of Jesus or the end times, they go, oh, this is confusing. It's complicated. I don't understand the book of Revelation. Some people say, well, I don't really need to understand that. I'm just going to focus on sharing the gospel with people and trying to live like Jesus. But Mike brilliantly lays out why it's important for us to understand the end times dynamics, why it's important for all of us to understand what God has spoken to us through his word on this issue. So I encourage you, take the time, listen through this episode, take it to heart. Mike is a seasoned leader in the prayer movement in the body of Christ with lots of wisdom for us. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode and this teaching today from Mike Bickle. Okay, I'm going to give five reasons why understanding the biblical view of the end times is important. Number one reason, and it's a strange term, I call it the unique dynamics. There's one generation of history that will have unique dynamics compared to every other generation from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 1, and that is the generation the Lord returns. There will be unprecedented pressures, but there will be an unprecedented measure of glory. Isaiah 60, that's a a number of verses indicate it, but this is a really easy one. When deep darkness covers the whole earth, then the glory of God will be seen on the people of God. And so there's coming an hour leading up to the Lord's return where darkness reaches unprecedented levels, but the glory of God on the church, far beyond the book of Acts and miracles, power, it will be so unique. No time in history has there ever been these dynamics. So therefore, there's no group we can look to that's navigated this before. So we can't even look back to the book of Acts and go, well, you walked in those dynamics, not near the level of darkness or the level of power. The book of Acts did not have nearly as much as the generation that the Lord returns in. So it's going to create a situation where people are fearful. Millions, billions will be fearful as the negative increases. So people asked me, are things going to get better or things going to get worse? And I say both. That's the uniqueness of the hour. The dark will get darker, but the light will get lighter. And it will look like to many people, even in the body of Christ, If they don't have the biblical narrative, it will look like the train of history is off the track and nobody's leading it. I mean, even in the last year or two at the COVID and other situations, people are going, what's happening? What's happening? I go, this is just the beginning of the beginning of the escalation of trouble. But already many believers are afraid 
and wondering, where's God? Where's this? I go, we've got to really anchor in and settle these issues because it's going to be far more intense than it is right now. And many are already being shaken in a way that's unnerving. It's disturbing. I think they'll get through it. But it's, I think, time to get people ready for it. But the good news is the train of history is not off the tracks. That the God who prophesied the negative increase of pressure, he prophesied it with details thousands of years ago because he has control over it. He says, this is, none of it's surprising me. But what he's doing is he's creating the optimum environment on the earth. The optimum environment for the body of Christ to be transformed from a Laodicean spirit to the maturity of a prepared bride. And he's creating the optimum environment for what I call, many use this term, it's just kind of a generic term, the billion soul harvest. Not that that's the exact number, but he's gonna rescue the church from a spirit of dullness and compromise globally and bring in a billion souls. And he's creating the optimum environment for that, meaning he's allowing the devil to be more active. He's allowing men to walk out their sin. He's allowing the power of God to increase so the good, the bad, all of it together is the optimum environment for the rescue of the end-time church to become a prepared, mature bride and for the billion-so harvest to come in. He totally knows what he's doing. And so the situation, though, will create fear in a lot of people's minds. And there's only one reliable source of what's happening, and that's the Word of God. There'll be many, many opinions, and even many opinions in the body of Christ, but not based on the word, just on reading what they can put together, the logic of the news, the fake news, and both right, left, up, and down. There's fake news everywhere. It's not like this group is fake and this group is true. There's even some sincere people are saying wrong things. And so there's going to be a lot of fear. There's only one reliable source of information, and that's the written word of God. So because that generation, and I believe it's my opinion, that's not a prophecy, I believe we're in the early days of that generation. You can read in Genesis 15. I have it on page two. I'm not going to go to it right now. But a generation, according to the Lord, in Genesis 15 could be up to 100 years. Some people said a generation's 40 years. Some say 50. Say, well, you don't know. It could be 40, could be 80. And so you just don't know. But the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, your people will be in the land of Egypt for four generations. He said 400 years. So it could be 100 years. It might not be. Who knows? The Lord doesn't want us to have that kind of timing down. But it's my opinion, not a prophecy, that there are people alive on the earth today that will actually see the coming of the Lord with their eyes. Maybe the 20-year-olds or maybe the two-year-olds, I don't know. But I, I don't know that I'm 66. I don't know if I will. I might, I might not. I don't really care. I just want to step across that line and be with the Lord up there, down here. That doesn't matter to me as long as I'm with him. And so, but I think it's time for the body of Christ to shake off the kind of the spirit of apathy and just kind of the casual attitude about the, what the scripture says about the end times and begin to evaluate it, talk about it, have honor-filled discussions with one another, pushback. We have an environment here where we talk about a lot of these passages and we have lots of pushback. Some of our leaders say, no, the others go, yes, no, yes. No. I go, come on, just keep it coming. Let's just keep learning and let's learn from other streams in the body of Christ together. Because I think we have some decades. We have time to get this thing right. And to have a generation that's filled with peace and confidence, not filled with offense and fear and deception, et cetera, et cetera. The second reason why we need to have a biblical view is because of the Bible itself. That seems kind of like circular thinking. The Bible gives us the reason for Bible answers. Okay. No, it's this point. By far, the Bible describes one generation of human history far more than any other generation. 
And that is the generation of the Lord returns. This was so surprising to us to discover this. Next thing I'm going to say, there are 150 chapters in the Bible of which the primary subject is the generation of the Lord returns. I want you to think on that for a minute. That, that is a, an alarming, alerting uh, piece of information. The Bible has presented 150, it's actually a little bit more than that, chapters of which the main topic is the generation the Lord returns. The, you know, the 15 or 20 negatives, because there's all, you could categorize them different way, or the 15 or 20 positives. Now, just to get that in perspective, if you took Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels, added them up together, that's 89 chapters. So almost 90 chapters to give the story in the gospels of Jesus' first coming. 150 chapters give the events around his second coming. So if we love those almost 90 chapters, almost twice as many chapters uh, have the subject of the generation of the Lord returns. Again, the, the 15 or 20 negative categories, 15 or 20 positives, each chapter has a little bit of each. And so it's the same Jesus being talked about. It's the same Bible. It's the same Holy Spirit, but I'm guessing far over 90% of the body of Christ is illiterate on the majority of those 150 chapters. But they love Jesus, but this is his leadership we're talking about. We're not talking about some old archaic, you know, it's Old Testament, we don't really get it, nobody gets it anyway. We're talking about Jesus' leadership is what we're talking about. Like people have come to me over the years and they said, boy, you know, you're really into the, uh, well, first they say you're really into the end of the world. And I, and I go, no, no, actually not at all, because the world is never going to end. Actually, the, the end of the age is different than the end of the world, because the end of the age is the way that the earth is governed with demonic interference and demonic influence. That is going to end. The age ends the way the earth is governed, but the earth does not end. Even the new heaven, new earth, and I don't want to get into all that, but it goes on and on and on. So I don't believe ever in the end of the world. And I've had people go, oh. Oh, because they confuse end of the age with the end of the earth <laughs> or the end of the world. I go, no, we're going to be a, a glorious future with resurrected bodies on the earth with a new Jerusalem coming down with the Father's throne. We're going to have food. We're going to have relationships. We're going to have task kingdom opportunities to advance things that are in the will of God forever and forever and forever. That's a big subject. I don't want to get into that right now, but no, not the end of the world. So they, okay. You believe in the end of the, you're really into the end times. I go, well, no, not that either. I kind of lead them on, as, you know, so, so they'll ask me these questions. I go, no, I'm not. I'm really into Jesus and his leadership. And if those 150 chapters are, tell us what he's allowing or what he's doing, I care. Because it's him I care about. If he's not involved, I don't care about those chapters, maybe a little bit, not so much. I'm into Jesus. I'm obsessed by the grace of God with him and his leadership. So that's what I'm in this thing for because he is such a brilliant leader and he's thought through all the details ahead of time and he has given us incredible volume of information ahead of time for one generation. I mean, that's remarkable that he has done that. I mean, that's truly remarkable. I want you to stop and think for a minute, just as a lover of Jesus, as a disciple of the next generation and say this, how familiar am I with the contents of those 150 chapters? And of course, I'm not trying to like, ah, I got you. That's not what I'm doing. Everyone goes, I'm not. And I say, okay, no problem, because we still have time. Now, I don't believe that 100 million people are going to study those 150 chapters in some major deep way. I don't believe that. 
My prayer, it's just an arbitrary number. I don't claim it that it's inspired. I'm saying, Lord, raise up a million young men and women, old men and women, I don't care, across the earth that study these 150 chapters line by line with diligence. I mean, they really, what the angel told John in Revelation 10, he goes, eat the scroll. They digest the message of the 150 chapters. If a million did it, they would be able to equip a hundred million who would know the broad strokes. And if a hundred million know the broad strokes, the billion will at least have a, a sense of what's happening and people to connect with. So I don't have this idea that everyone in this room is supposed to do those 150 chapters, but probably a few of you will, but all of you probably need to at least know the broad strokes and not all the details, but the broad strokes. So I'm saying, Lord, raise up a million that are deep on the understanding and let them equip a hundred million that know the broad strokes. Let the hundred million be a source of stability and strength and understanding to the billion in the body of Christ that I see that are coming forth. So that's kind of my little grid on that. Now, this is really where my passion is right here. It's the pastoral reasons for people understanding the biblical narrative, pastoral reasons. And I'm going to take the words of Jesus because he gave insight pastoring the generation the Lord returns, that he's going to return. He was pastoring, I believe, this generation 2,000 years ago by the teaching he gave. He's saying, for 2,000 years, you might not draw that much out of what I'm about to tell you, but there's going to be a generation where a billion or two are going to really need this information. So 2,000 years ago, he spoke. He was, end of the age. Hey, I got stuff for you that's going to really be helpful. This is my gift to you. I'm going to give it to you right now. And so I see these 150 chapters as a tremendous gift. But here's my premise that if the body of Christ does not understand, again, the broad strokes, I don't mean becoming experts on the 150 chapters. Maybe a million will, but 100 million won't, and a billion won't for sure. They're not even supposed to. But if the body of Christ does not understand the broad strokes of the biblical narrative, catch this, they will by default accept the secular narrative. If they don't have the biblical narrative, they will take the opinions of preachers and of other people that seem logical. Here's the problem. The biblical narrative has so many offensive and surprising elements to it that nobody would ever plan it that way besides Jesus. And there isn't any positive thinking preacher that's going to outthink him. I mean, like, for instance, he allows evil men to be raised up in power to awaken nations to bring in an awakening and revival. Well, why does he let evil? No, we pray evil men to not be raised up, and we should. But the Lord says, go ahead and pray. But I've got a few things I'm doing real clear. And he's put a lot of those principles right in the book there. And so if we don't have his narrative and we just have our even just sincere, we love Jesus logic, we're going to miss it. Because the secular narrative, nobody would pick the narrative of those 150 chapters. I've been a student of those 150 chapters. And not that I get them all, but I've studied it line by line, verse by verse. And I look at, Lord, why on earth would you let the harlot Babylon be raised up in power like this? Stop it. He goes, no, just for a minute, just for a minute. Don't worry. I'm going to triumph over it, but I'm going to use it as part of the optimum environment to wake up the nations. And for 10 other reasons too. And I go, well, if I was you, I'd skip the harlot Babylon part. I would skip the mark of the beast part too, if I was you. And he goes, well, you're not me. You'll see how it ends. It's got a good ending. And so we have to understand the biblical narrative, or if we don't, believers, sincere believers by default will accept the secular narrative. 
Now, here's the problem. If we accept the secular narrative, the secular narrative, there'll be 10 versions of that. So there's not like one. If we don't, if we're not anchored in the biblical narrative, we will be far more vulnerable to four negative responses from the lips of Jesus. There's four negative responses. There could be five or six, but I've identified four from his teaching that he gave, and he's pastoring the generation that he's returning in. And I've created an acronym, FOLD, F-O-L-D. I like acronyms because when I have four points, half the time I can't remember them. (laughs) But if I have an acronym, I can. And so I just did it for my own sake. And the first negative response is fear. And I have the verses in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. Jesus said, people will be fainting for fear. This is believers and unbelievers alike. It will look like the train of history is off the track. It'll look like God's not in control. And they don't know what's going on. They don't know that many of these details were written in the book thousands of years ahead of time. And if he has control enough to say them that accurately, he has control over them. And if he says the negative and the positive, we believe the positive too. But while the negative is happening, we also believe the positive. And so fear, if people get in fear, which fear is escalating rapidly right now, even in the church, people make really bad decisions, spiritual decisions when they get into fear. They make really bad decisions. They just get into a frenzy on the inside when the fear escalates. Fear is a huge issue. I'm just going to go to the next one. The next one is in Matthew 24. It's offense. You can see the passage there. It says, verse 10 of Matthew 24, many will be offended. Now, they'll be, they'll be offended horizontally with one another, but they're going to be offended at God too. Millions, millions are going to say, I was taught this would never happen. Who is reliable? Is the Bible true? Why have I been lied to? I don't know who to believe anymore. When people get offended at God, I was taught that a God of love would never allow this. Well, who told you that? Well, everyone knows that. Where did you get it from? Well, that one series that I, you know, my youth group, I heard it. Well, I know, but where in the Bible did you get it? Well, I don't know. You know, everybody agrees with that we were not going to see that trouble. And when they do see that trouble, if they don't have a grid for his leadership in the trouble to bring forth great victory, the vulnerability, not the guarantee, but the vulnerability to be offended. Attention, pastors and ministry leaders. We want to invite you to an ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, Utah, July 26th through the 28th. This ATD Leadership Summit is for leaders from across America that carry a shared value of hosting the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer and gospel proclamation. Our Awaken the Dawn team will be hosting the event, including David Bradshaw, Matthew Lilly, and David Valier. When you join us for this summit, you will experience real and refreshing connection with like-hearted leaders in an informal, fun, and relational environment, including four free meals together, teaching and training sessions catered to pioneering presence-centered ministry leaders, spirit-filled and life-giving times of worship, prophetic ministry, and prayer to refresh your heart, interactive breakout sessions and workshops to dialogue about practical ministry challenges, and a regional worship and prayer gathering the weekend after the summit. To learn more and register, go to awakenthedawn.com today. Again, join us for the ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, July 26th through the 28th. Register now at awakenthedawn.com. We can't wait to see you there. God is high. An offense at God is a big issue. People are already that right now in the COVID thing. They're, how could you? 
And again, we're at the beginning of the beginning, but the glory is going to be far greater than the trouble. That I can assure you. Offense. You can't grow in love if you're stumbling. I mean, being captured. I don't mean a little bit of working through fear, working through offense. We're all humans. We do, we do that. But I mean, stuck in it. You can't grow in love. You can't grow. You make wrong decisions. You get really off. Third is lust. And it's in Luke 21. That's the one word in my acronym that he didn't say lust, but I had to come up with some acronym. But he talked about immorality and drunkenness and, and carousing. And dissipation, those are different words that are used in different translations. So whether it's immorality, drunkenness, or or opioids, or mind-altering type of uh, drugs, legal or illegal, whatever, the point is this. People are going to sin because they love to sin. But as the pressure increases, millions are going to sin to self-medicate their fears. They're going to go deeper in pornography for a moment of relief from fear. It's not because they want to do immorality more. They will just want relief or they're going to, the drunkenness is going to increase, increase, increase. The opioids increase, increase, just anything, mind altering, just a little while so I could get some relief tonight to go to bed. And, a, and Jesus in Luke 21, he describes a number of, I, I'm using the word lust, of pleasures outside the will of God that people are going to look to escape what's happening on the earth, to escape the fear of it. And then the fourth one is deception. This is a really intense one because Jesus warned in Matthew 24, which is the main end time chapter of Jesus, Jesus warned more about deception than he did persecution and tribulation. And the body of Christ, we're kind of, because we're humans, we're more concerned with tribulation and persecution than we are deception. But tribulation and persecution troubles us circumstances in a short term but deception is spiritually dangerous with very terrible results that are eternal. Deception is the biggest enemy at all. Now he says, look at Matthew 24, verse 11 there. He says, many prophets, it's the only time you find that I know of, you find the word many used in one verse on two different subjects. Many false prophets deceive many. So the deceivers are many and the deceived are many. Two different groups. Now, these false prophets, I believe the biggest category of the false prophets are social commentators. When we think of false prophets, we think of the guy with the horns on, you know, with shifty eyes, oh, I'm going to come get you, you know, I'm going to deceive you and lead you into a cult. There'll be those guys around for sure. But by far, the false prophets, the false messaging is the social commentators that will give a interpretation of what's happening that is contrary to the biblical narrative. And that is the most dangerous thing that's happening. It's happening right now because a lot of those social commentators, they're really cool personalities. They're good looking, great communicators, great on technologies. A lot of those commentators are in the church. A lot of them are not in the church. They're going to increase and increase and increase and they're compelling personalities, but they're giving a narrative that is not in agreement with the biblical narrative. And one reason is they don't know the biblical narrative. They're giving the narrative that will give them the most applauds and the most likes and the most, wow, that makes me feel better for today, whether it's true or not. It's just kind of a temporary comfort. A lot of the social narratives, or they give even other narratives apart from just temporary false comfort. But anyway, that is a really big one. And these messengers are actually in the church and outside of the church. Some of them love Jesus. They're just training a generation on a wrong narrative. And that is going to leave that generation not guaranteed they will fall into fear and offense, et cetera, but they'll be far more vulnerable to it. Okay, so why does this matter? 
the most tragic reality in human history, in my opinion. I can't imagine what's more tragic than this. Of all of human history, the greatest tragedy is the end time falling away. The end time falling away of people who have confessed they believe Jesus. And some of this is real. Some, uh, some theologies have, well, no, they only think they believe in Jesus. Well, whether they think they did, but they didn't really, whatever, whatever. But I think it's a true falling away as well as people, it being manifest, they never did believe in reality and it just came to light. But look at 2 Thessalonians chapter two. Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you by any means, no matter how clever, what approach, what presentation, don't be tricked on this point that the day of the Lord, which is the second coming, it will not come until two things happen. There's more than two things, but these are the two Paul emphasized. Until the end time falling away comes first, and until the man of sin, which is the Antichrist, is manifest on a global level. Now think about this. Think how dramatic and clear it will be when the Antichrist is manifest on the global level, meaning a billion of us will know. Many won't know it's the Antichrist, but a billion in the church will. The falling away will be as prominent and clear as that is, meaning it's not a trickle down, well, you know, the youth aren't really going to church much after they go to college. Far beyond that. It's we're already seeing an escalation of people with a Christian heritage who are not walking it out. And so we're seeing that happen, and they're challenging the authority of the Scripture. They're challenging this, 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 and this. It's the beginning of the beginning. This falling away is the great—I mean, because I believe a number of these are actually people that were in the faith, and they just say, no, no, no more. I'm offended. I don't like this no more. I'm out. I, yeah, I think it's, it's right. Who says the Bible has the final authority of faith and practice? Who says the Bible is inspired? I heard that my whole life. I don't believe that anymore. More and more people, not just young people, old and young are saying that. And when the trouble increases, the falling away, it is the greatest tragedy of human history. And a lot of it will happen in context to people having no understanding to what's taking place, but they think they understand. Because these 150 chapters didn't matter to them or anybody in their world. Again, I don't think the majority need to know those 150 chapters. But if a million do, then 100 million can get the broad strokes. And if 100 million get the broad strokes, then a billion have a source to get some, you know, because people will be connected all over the body of Christ in their local areas. There will be insight with biblical bases. They will have access to it. And if a hundred million begin to even get broad strokes, it will be all over the internet with social media. I mean, it will fill the earth. And so, I'm uh, I'm thinking this is incredible. I want to see a generation prepared. That's what's really on my heart. Of and I'm talking about the two year olds and the twenty year olds right now, because in a minute they'll be you know twenty, forty, and sixty, and in a minute it, they're going to be older. You know <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> and so it's not too early to start little by little training them. I don't mean like every Sunday morning we teach on the end time, something like that, but but we're intentional about searching it out together in different, different avenues. Okay, the fourth reason why it's important to study the 150 chapters or the biblical uh, view of the end times is prophetic reasons. Now, Jesus talked about signs of the times. Signs of the times, biblical signs of the times, they are events and trends that are predicted in Scripture that are a roadmap to where history's going. There are meant to be signs on the highway, you're on the right road, this is happening. There's a number of negative signs and a number of positive signs. Jesus gave 22 signs in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, because it's the same message. You combine them together. 22 distinct signs. 
The apostles, well, we just read, Paul said the falling away and the man of sin being revealed on the global stage is the idea. Let's say Peter, James, and John, the apostles, there's about 10 or 15 signs they gave. Some of them overlap with Jesus's. Then the Old Testament prophets, they gave another 10, 20, 30. It just depends on how you identify it. So totally, there's, I don't know the number actually, because there's different ways to categorize it, but there's about 50. Just say that's a ballpark number. Biblical signs of the times, Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles, and Jesus himself. Now here's paragraph one. I was so something surprised. I was going to say alerted, not really alerted, but I went, oh, wow, when I first saw this, is that, did you know that there is one generation that is commanded to know by Jesus that they are that generation? Not invited to know, commanded to know. Now, he gave the qualifiers. He said, it's the generation where all the signs take place. And all of the signs are not taking place right now. Most of them are escalating, increasing on a global level together for the first time in history. Most of them, but not all of them. Until all of them are happening, you cannot know. But once all of them happening, Jesus says, look at it right there, verse 33. When you see all these things, know. This is not a suggestion. It's not an invitation. It's actually a command. You must know what's going on when that takes place. Now, and he said, that generation will not pass away. And again, a generation could be 100 years. It could be 40 years. It could be 50. We don't know. And he doesn't want us to know, in my opinion. He wants us to be ready. It could stretch out. It could speed up. It could, you know, prolong. We don't know. But he says in verse 36, of the day and the hour, no one knows. Here's the odd thing that I've seen in Bible teaching. People use verse 36, no one can know the day or the hour, and they conclude, verse 33, you can't know the generation. Jesus said opposite. He goes, if you're in the generation and the science happen, you have to know. Or again, we're not quite there yet. But people say, well, nobody could know the generation. Absolutely, op- I mean, completely, that's opposite of what Jesus taught. He said, you can't know the day or the hour, but you can know the generation if you happen to be living in it. And again, it's premature to say for sure But if for the first time in human history, the majority of those signs are escalating on a global level. A hundred years ago, it wasn't even close to this. Even 50 years ago, most of them were not. But even in the last 10 or 20 years, they're escalating rapidly. Well, one of the problems, and again, I'm not trying to point out, I'm trying to uh, stir up interest, not point out deficiency. Most of the body of Christ, they don't know what the 50 signs are. If you ask them, they'd say, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, Stuff like that. Like, okay, that's three. Give me the other 47. You know, bad stuff, you know? My point is, that's okay for now, but those signs were given from heaven to equip a body of Christ, road signs to tell them what's coming, and we've got to begin in the next decade to get familiar with the the biblical signs of the times, not projected ideas. Okay, let's look at the fifth one, and then we'll end with this. The promise of increased understanding. There's one generation that the Lord promises an increase of understanding about the end times, and that's the generation that he returns. This is one of my favorite end time passages in the Old Testament. Partial fulfillment in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes, a little bit of fulfillment. For you that are historians and theologians, we know that Daniel 11 has a little fulfillment, 175 B.C., with that Syrian king, but the vast majority of the details of Daniel 11 have not been fulfilled yet. I'm only saying that for a few of you who go, because 
Bible teachers write off Daniel 11 because it had a, a partial fulfillment, a very small partial fulfillment with Antiochus Epiphanes. And again, 175 to 164 BC. But paragraph one, look at this. And here's an angel. Here's a mighty angel saying this to Daniel. And the context is the end times. Daniel chapter 11 and 12 is significant information about the end times. And he says, and those of the people who understand will teach many. Those of the people who understand, there's a group of people. I'm just making up the number of million. Not in one place, all over the earth, all different movements, tribes, tongues, you know, a million. Maybe it's 10 million. I don't know. But it's not a small little group on a hillside who have inside knowledge that nobody knows about. It's not that kind of little dinky little group on the side. Because some groups want to be the people of understanding. You know, one guy, I'm going to start the people of understanding.com. I go, don't, don't, don't put that name on you. It's on a large number across the earth. But listen, there's an angel. The angel told Daniel, there is a group of people called the people of understanding. And the understanding isn't basic Bible knowledge. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not talking about principles of, you know, the book of Proverbs principles of how to have a successful life and, you know, with wisdom in it. They're not talking about understanding in that generic sense, though I really believe in that. It's talking specifically of the details of what the angel is giving Daniel right here, Daniel 11 or 12. But here's the word I want you to see. They're going to teach many. When an angel says the word many, I mean, angels are so different than humans. They understate beyond measure. And, you know, like I, I tell preachers, I go, I have insider information. I know where the market's going. Hundreds of millions, uh, several billion people are going to want to know this stuff. This is just a guess. I think there'll be as many unbelievers eager to know what's going on as believers. I've got more unbelievers going, hey, does the Bible say anything about this? They're almost more eager than believers. Not exactly, but some are. So uh, here's what I'm telling you. God's raising up, again, I'm just making up the number of million, but of people, he's going to call them to drink deep of this, to eat the scroll, the, the Revelation 10, when the angel told John, eat the scroll. In other words, digest these biblical chapters. Because millions, and I think it's going to be a couple billion people are going to be saying, what is going on? How can I understand this? I mean, it's going to be a significant part of, I believe, the billion soul harvest, living understanding as to what's going on with accuracy in it. And so that's a, a big word that many will understand that. I'm believing there are some in this very room right now and in this a movement here that are people of understanding. The Lord has marked you to go deep in this. Not everybody to go deep in this, and not only this, but not in a casual way, you're going deep in it, because you want to be able to give broad strokes information to a lot of other leaders and other members of the body of Christ. So I'm going to pray in just a moment that God would touch people of understanding in the early days. They begin the next 10 or 20 years. I think we got time to get this stuff. Jeremiah, and there's quite a few verses, by the way. I just picked two just to keep the hand out to one page here. When the anger of the Lord will not be turned back, talking about his judgments and actually his judgments against the Antichrist regime. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until God has executed all the thoughts of his heart. But in the latter days, the people of God will understand this perfectly. Or instead of the word perfectly, put the word in a mature way. There will be mature understanding of what God is doing, even in the midst of the negative things. There will be mature understanding in the last days. Well, amen and amen. I'm going to end with that. And I'm going to pray over you for just a moment. And just whether the Lord has called you to go deep in it or not, because not all of you are supposed to do that, but encourage the other ones that are. That's my point. 
instead of saying, well, I'm not really into the end times. And I'd say, well, if you're into Jesus's leadership, you're kind of, you kind of are. You just don't know you're into the end times because we're into his leadership. That's what we're into. Well, I'm not supposed to go there, but don't talk the other guy out of it. And don't roll your eyes at him when he or her because they get some of it wrong in the journey because we're all getting some of it wrong in the journey. Let's stay humble. Let's stay honoring. Let's support one another because others are doing things in the marketplace. Others are doing things in the political arena. Others are doing things in the academic arena, the military arena, and others are focusing on this and others are doing missions and specific. There's so many assignments that just because we're human, we only have bandwidth personally to do a couple of them with a little bit of intensity. So we don't try to be every instrument in the symphony, but we need every instrument in the the symphony. So one of my uh, mandates is to encourage people to start going into this and to encourage others to support them instead of block them or put them down, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, you would come and mark a generation, whether they're 80-year-olds or whether they're 10-year-olds right now. Lord, I ask that you would mark people, even in this room, and in the downline of the people in this room, that you would mark them to eat the scroll, the the Revelation 10, to digest these 150 chapters, to eat the scroll, to be diligent, that they would be one of the people of understanding that teach many. And with social media opportunities, you could touch a million people in a moment from a kitchen, a a blog in your kitchen. An 80-year-old grandmother could reach a million people in a day. They really could. So Lord, I ask you to mark, to mark, to mark and strengthen Resolve in the name of Jesus for the fame of his name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We would love for you to hit follow or subscribe in whatever app you're using so that you can continue to get episodes like this every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor and please share it with your friends and post it on social media. Be sure to tag Awaken the Dawn in your post so that we can reshare that with all of our friends as well. If you're tuning in on Apple, please leave us a rating or review. And if you're on YouTube, give us that thumbs up like button and leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's episode. And we really appreciate it. Finally, please visit our website at awakenthedawn.com. You can find out more about our ministry and movement, and you can also make a donation to help support this podcast and the Awaken the Dawn ministry. Thank you again for tuning in today, and don't forget, Jesus changes everything.